What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. William Carey is known as the father of modern missions. His pioneer efforts to evangelize the people of India in the late 1700s and the early 1800s have inspired countless missionaries all over the world. With relentless efforts, the people of India perhaps would have never experienced God's amazing grace of salvation through the word of God if it were not the work of William Carey. As I've been meditating and studying the life of William Carey, I have to admit to you today that in that moment that I'm watching a documentary or reading a biography, in that very moment, I'm ready to pack my bags and leave America and go to the ends of the earth to share Jesus with them. But it's important that whenever we're trying to figure out the future plan that God has for us, that we don't make rash, emotional-based decisions. That being said, Here are some quotes that have really stirred me to try to reach more people with the gospel here in our context. William Carey said this, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid at succeeding at things that don't matter. That's frightening. Can you imagine William Carey is there. He, of course, grew up in the United Kingdom and he knew English, but he began to master Latin, mastered Greek, and mastered Hebrew. And he goes over to India with his family and a team of missionaries and he learns their languages. And the project that God gave to him was to translate the Bible there. That is quite a success story. And today, I don't know about you, I don't know what God's plan for the rest of your life is, but I I am like William Carey. I do not want to succeed in life concerning the things that do not matter. Here's another one he said. It is the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to endeavor to make it known among all nations. We are called to be involved in the Great Commission Locally and globally, at some way, shape, or form. Here's another one. I like this one. You see, William Carey did not serve God without trials. He experienced many trials in his life from his, some of his own family member passing away. And as he was overlooking all of those things in his life, the trials he experienced, he said this. The future is as bright as the promises of God. And in the late 1700s, he was there at a Baptist meeting, a uh, Baptist uh, organizational meeting about missions. And he was preaching to all of these different ones. Pastors were there. Christian workers were there. And after he got done preaching, the ones there were very cynical and critical and said, Hey, God doesn't need you to go overseas. But it was in that sermon where we get this famous quote that we've heard of him. And it said this, Attempt great things for God. Expect great things 
from God. As we think about the work of William Carey, it's no doubt God used him in a mighty way, very similarly as he did these prophets that the Bible's mentioning here in Hebrews chapter 11. Today I want to begin a little series within this series about the faith of the prophets. This is part one. As we look into verse 32, we know that the writer of Hebrews is coming down to the wire of his message that he's trying to relay to his audience. And he's running out of time, so he begins to just mention these names without going into detail. And the commentators believe, many of them, that verses 33 through verse 38 apply directly to verse 32. However, while that is true in, in some ways, I think these characteristics of the acts and the trials, the triumphs and the tragedies that are found in verses 33 through 38 are really left up to the reader and listener to interpret for themselves. And while a lot is going on in the context of verse 32, I think we need to keep all the characters of the Old Testament in mind as we're analyzing this text today. But that being said, here's the thought I want to share with you today. That, listen, if you, here's the sermon. Those who have faith in God can do great things for God. You can be like William Carey. You can pack your bags. You can go to a foreign nation and integrate yourself in that culture. Learn those languages and take God's word to those people. You can, and God can use you to do great things. But you can also stay right here where you're planted. That is where God has placed you in this very moment. And while you're in this moment, you can be used by him to do great things. And today, as we're thinking about this concept of faith, total reliance and dependence on God for everything especially salvation. We need to understand this. That if you do have faith in God, God can use you to do great things. But it won't be something great in that of your own strength. It'll be God giving you the grace and strength to accomplish those things for him on his behalf. Those who have great, those, excuse me, who have faith in God can do great things for God. And as we've looked so far in this chapter, we've observed people who had very little faith in times. There are some that had a lot of faith at times. And there are some that, in a sense, almost had zero faith. And God used them. But just a little bit of faith, Jesus said, can move mountains. And today, as we look at this section of Scripture, we're going to analyze the prophets. We could talk about Daniel. We could talk about Jeremiah. We could talk about Isaiah. We could talk about Ezekiel. We could talk about Micah and Jonah and Haggai and all the rest. Elijah, Elisha. We could talk about them today in detail, but we're going to have to summarize many of these things here. But here's the question I want to ask you. Yes, if you have faith in God, God can use you to do great things. But, but, but how can we do great things for God? One of those ways is to leave this nation and go to another one. One of those ways is to stay right here. One of those ways is to go to another area in the nation in which you reside. One of those ways is to become a pastor or a missionary. One of those ways is to be a Christian who's living out each day the Christian life and pointing people to Jesus in their work field. But I want to draw your attention to verse 32 where it speaks about these prophets and verse 33. 
And the first thought I want to relate to you is this. In faith, do great things for God by being an obstacle overcomer. In faith, do great things for God by being an obstacle overcomer. We can overcome obstacles that are placed in our path by God's amazing grace and his help all by faith. It is in verse 33 that the writer begins to dig in. And he says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, and obtained promises. I am inclined to believe what the commentators have, uh, have observed here. That verse 33 and verse 34 give us three triplets and each of these triplets, these triads, are to be studied together. And I think the first three here are to be studied together. And it's a reminder that the obstacles that come into our path in life, God can give us the faith to overcome. First of all, let's consider the, the first phrase here. It says, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Now remember, so far in the, in the chapter of, of 11 of the book of Hebrews, we've seen by faith and by faith and by faith and by faith. And occasionally this word is translated through faith as in verse 3 and again here in verse number 33. So, so you got to keep in mind the word through, who through faith, this is the key phrase in verse 33 and verse 34 and beyond the rest of the chapter. And so every time we get to this clause in this text, Text, we need to keep in mind it is who through faith they subdued kingdoms, who through faith they wrought righteousness, and who through faith they obtain promises. And as I read this concept of subduing kingdoms, now you can read, I can give you a list of 25 or 35 commentaries to go and read and check out. And what you'll find is not everybody is always in agreement on which of these phrases that one of these prophets or one of these characters that are mentioned here is about. So I think what's going on here is the writer of Hebrews is preaching a sermon and he's getting down to the wire. He's running out of time. So he's generalizing these clauses, leaving the listener to interpret and fill in the blanks about who these people could have been. And as I was meditating here in this phrase, who through faith subdued kingdoms, I couldn't help but think about Joshua. How Joshua was a mighty man that God raised up after Moses to literally subdue kingdoms. To take other nations and put them under his feet and conquer them, if you will. I can't help but think about the period of the judges. Where the judges came on the scene after Joshua and there, they were like these deliverers as we studied so far in this chapter, looking back, that God raised them up and they overcome or they overcame these people who were oppressing them. And then I will say this, that nearly every commentator that I looked at at this text, nearly all of them mention David. David is a man, of course, who's mentioned in verse 32. And if you will, David is probably the greatest king that Israel ever had. And his life was a life giving over to subduing kingdoms and taking Israel to become its greatest part in Israel's history. And reminding us that there's another character who's able to subdue the kingdoms of this age. And no, it's not young David. 
No, it's not Gideon or Samson or the other judges. And no, it's not Joshua of the Old Testament. It is King Jesus of the New Testament. How Jesus stepped into time and there he subdued the kingdom of darkness through his marvelous light. And my friends today, we can be overcomers of the obstacles that God allows us to to get into our life through Jesus and by faith only. So I wonder today, are you trying to conquer the darkness in this life by your own strength and merit? Are you seeking to do what Paul said to do in Ephesians chapter 6 of putting on the whole armor of God? And through faith, taking up that sword of the word and overcoming. Notice the phrase, the second phrase here. Who through faith wrought righteousness. Now, I know Josiah is not mentioned here in this text, but Josiah is the one that came to my mind. And what you'll find is, is certainly there are connections to these clauses, to the ones in verse 32 and, and perhaps to the ones earlier. But there's so many characters in the Old Testament that the writer here doesn't have time to speak of all of them. And Josiah is, is, is not the greatest king in my mind, but my favorite king. There is an eight-year-old young little boy. God raises him up to be a king. Now, of course, we know that that an eight-year-old doesn't have the maturity to to rule a nation. So, obviously, an an eight-year-old had people surrounding him who was helping guiding him along the way. But what Josiah did was he was the one who worked for righteousness in Israel's past. They are bringing the idols uh, of the high groves <laughs> in the past and, 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 and stomping them to powder and throwing them in the brook Kidron, finding the word of God in the temple and ripping his clothes in two because he was grieved that they were not keeping the law of God. Wouldn't it be great today if there was anybody at Clearbrook Baptist Church who was grieved over the sin in their life and was willing to get right with Jesus and live a life of holiness before him? We need righteousness at Clearbrook Baptist Church today. You need righteousness in your life. You, myself, we all need to live more like Jesus. The only way we're going to overcome is to seek to live a life pattern after the life of Christ. Josiah is a life that reminds us that there are times, just like, you know, winter's obviously coming, but spring is on its way. And at springtime, we, we get, we're having, you know, a time where we move all of the furniture in our house. And, and we do the spring cleaning to get everything crystal clean and, and, and nice and tidy. Well, I believe every Sunday is a spiritual cleansing house for the church of God. And we come here, we come here, yes, to encourage each other. But we also come here to get this idea of righteousness being restored in our life. He goes on and he speaks about they subdue kingdoms, they, they rot righteousness. But then it says they obtain promises. There's one character in my mind that was given a great promise in this entire chapter. And his name was Abraham. That's right, Abraham. What a man of God. God said to Abraham, I'm going to take you and move you from this land to another land. And I'm going to give you a son, even though you've never had a son and you're over the age of 70. I'm going to give you a son. He says, I'm going to give you a people, a nation, and I'm going to give you a land. And God lived up to that promise. It's interesting in chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews, 
The same phrase, the same word here, obtained promises, just the word obtained, is mentioned again in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 15. He so patiently endured all the trials that he went through, that he had to go through, and the Bible says he obtained the promise. We know Abraham's life is is bigger than Abraham. Abraham's um, wife, their family, their context is bigger than that of themselves. It was to give us the great gift of Jesus, the Messiah. Listen, if you think being sitting there in that red pew is going to allow you to overcome sin, you've lost your marbles. If you think getting baptized by a Baptist preacher or a Presbyterian minister, that's going to get you into the pearly gates. Listen, you've lost your mind. The only way is to receive the promise that God gave to humanity through Jesus. And that promise was given many, many years ago to Abraham. And we benefit from that promise. So I wonder today, do you have this kind of faith that seeks to do great things for God? Are you sitting here in that pew? Are you just trying to just scrape into the pearly gates of heaven? Are you just trying to be an average Joe or an average, um, you know, lady in the pew? I want to encourage you to be an overcomer through Jesus. Those who have faith in God can do great things for God. Secondly, I want to draw your attention to the second group here. Second group of phrases. In the last part of verse 33 and the first part of verse 34. And consider this. In faith, do great things for God by being a wonder worker. Yes, we can be an obstacle overcomer, but we can also be a wonder worker. Now, you may not think it's a miracle to stop the mouth of a lion. But if you were sitting in a den of lions, it would be a miracle that they didn't eat you. You may not think that it's a miracle to quench or to extinguish a fire. But if you were thrown into a fiery furnace, I assure you, and you survived that escapade, you would literally thank God for it. You may not think escaping the edge of the sword is something, or if somebody pulls a gun up to your face and pulls the trigger and the bullet does not fire, that would be, in a sense, a wonder miracle and a wonder work. Today, as we come to this text, I think it's interesting that, that the, the phrase here, stop the mouths of lions, sure, we can talk about Samson, sure, we can talk about David and some others who, who ripped and tore and killed a lion, uh, you know, out and about in the field. But I think the major one that we can speak of is Daniel. There, Daniel was, was praying as he did aforetime, and these people decided to make a law saying, you can't pray to anybody but who we say. And if you pray to somebody else, you'll be thrown into the den of lions to be devoured and killed. And so it is in Daniel chapter 6 where we read about this power, powerhouse prayer warrior named Daniel. And he is thrown in the den of lions. And the Bible says that God miraculously stopped the mouth of lions. Now today, I don't think you should be like this crazy guy that I heard about recently. Where he decided he was going to jump into a cage full of lions to prove that he had enough faith that God would not allow him to die in that season. Listen, don't tempt God. Don't be foolish. And and may I say this? Don't be that stupid, please. Come on. That'd be foolish. 
You do not need to jump into a pit of rattlesnakes to test your faith. You do not need to jump into a den of lions to test your level of faith. God already knows your heart. But today I will say this. That if you were ever persecuted in such a way, like Daniel, and you were thrown into a pit of snakes or a pit of lions, and God wanted you to survive, it would be God's story of the miraculous that would save you from that event. As we move forward in this text, the Bible speaks about how not only these people, these prophets, these ones of old, were able to stop the mouths of lions, but they were also able to quench the violence of fire. I recently listened to a podcast, um, got into listening to this podcast about horror stories on people going on trips where they barely survive to tell the tale. And I I heard about this guy, he was uh, going to Hawaii and they were trying to film for some Hollywood movie and, and they were going to take a helicopter and fly over a volcano. And, uh, long story short, the, um, the helicopter crashed and landed inside the volcano. And for one to three days, all three of those guys were trapped inside of a volcano with the lava brewing at the bottom. And if the plane would have been 50 more feet down further into the volcano, they would have been submerged into the lava. Somehow, by God's grace, there was a ledge that made its way up the volcano. And, and, and the guy, he, he gets up to the, to the, as far as he can, and there he's stuck. And there they stay the night. And by God's amazing grace, they were able to radio out and send help. And finally, the rescue people came. Now, I don't know what it's like to be inside of a volcano. But I do know three characters in the Bible that know what it's like to be in a pit of fire. And that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and it's obvious, the commentators are in agreement here, that, that this is the one, these are the ones who come to mind when it speaks about how they were able to quench the violence of fire. There, they were thrown in. Because they refused to bow down and worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar made. They said, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to bend our knees to worship this false, ridiculous God. Throw us in the fire. And let it be known, O king, that our God is able to deliver us from that fire. And so there they were thrown in. And Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible speaks about how they, because of their um, actions toward the king and toward the the throne, they decided, let's let's heat it up even hotter. So as they heated up the, the furnace hotter, it consumed the men who threw them in and they died. But as they looked into that fiery furnace, you know this story, there was another man in the fire and he was likened to the Son of God. God miraculously shielded them in such a way that they come out of the fire and they did not even smell like smoke. God majors in doing miracles. But then... The text goes on and it speaks about these ones who are able to, sk- to escape the edge of the sword. We, we, we can talk about David. We can talk about Elijah. We can talk about Elisha. We can talk about Jeremiah. We can talk about so many people in the Old Testament who was able to escape the edge of the sword. But the one I want to draw your attention to is in a time period of Esther. You remember that story where this man named Haman came on the scene and decided he wanted to exterminate all the Jews. 
developed this gallows that they would all be hung on. And Mordecai and Esther, they began to fast and pray. And God miraculously saved them and spared them. And Haman died on the gallows in which he had made. Today, no matter if we're thrown into the lions of life, no matter if we're thrown into the fires of life, or no matter if we're being threatened with the swords in this life, God can step in and do wonders in our life and save us and spare us from those things. I was reminded of this section of Hebrews 11 that we have an adversary who is like a lion, who is roaring about trying to seek us and to devour us. And today, my friends, if you want to overcome, you've got to seek God's help because you are not strong enough to overcome the enemy's attacks. You're not. And neither am I. Only through the power of God's grace can we overcome. And if God steps in and does a miracle, we will surely overcome. Those who have faith in God can do great things for God. But may I draw your attention to the final part of verse 34. Thirdly, in faith, do great things for God by being a contending conqueror. In faith, do great things for God by being a contending conqueror. It's obvious some type of warfare is in the mind of the writer here. He speaks about out of weakness they were made strong. He speaks about being valiant in fight and speaking about pushing away the armies of the foreigners. Here it's obvious the context of war is in mind. And if you ever read the Old Testament or if you've ever read stories of the Old Testament, or have ever heard stories of the Old Testament, or have ever had sermons from the Old Testament, you'll realize that the Old Testament was a bloody book full of many wars. So, so many people can come to mind here. But I think the one that comes to my mind the most in the first phrase here about conquering his enemies there, about out of weakness was made strong, was the man Samson. And we've looked at him earlier in this text, at least in chapter 11. Samson was a man who took the Nazarite vow, as you know, and there he had that long hair and finally released his secret to, to this woman. And there they shaved his head and there he lost his strength and there they plucked out his eyes. He could not see, he was blind. And there his hair began to grow. And there at the end of his life, he stood in between the pillars. He, he asked his, his, his person guiding him along, can you take me to the pillar so I can lean against it? And there as he leans against this pillar, he lifts up his voice to God and says, God, give me strength one more time. And there he pushed out the pillar from the big building and it collapsed. And in that moment, he killed more Philistines than in his entire life. Samson understood that in the weakness of his life, God stepped in to make him strong. And when we are weak, my friends, is when we are the strongest. Today, as I think about this concept of, of neglecting food in our life concerning fasting, I know we don't do it a lot. We're Baptists and we like to eat. But I'll tell you something. Fasting has a way of making your body so weak but God steps in and makes you spiritually strong. The phrase here, waxed valiant in, in fight. I, I have to think of David. 
with just a sling and a stone, killed this giant of Gath, 10 feet tall. Now, I have a question for you. Do you think you could beat Shaquille O'Neal in a one-on-one match of basketball? He's seven foot one. And the last time I checked, all of us here are well below seven feet tall. <laughs> I don't think you stand a chance. I don't, I don't think any of us do. His wingspan is too much. He'd block our shots. And then there's no way we're going to be able to stop this massive beast inside the paint. There's just no way we can. And so imagine this young, perhaps scrawny little teenage boy named David going up to a shack-like figure, but with a sword. David had only his, his own device, a sling and a stone, and he killed by the mercy of God. He waxed valiant in fight. God gave him the strength when he was weak. Then I think about Gideon here. Gideon, that, that self-conscious, um, worry wart Gideon, who doubted so much, laid out the fleece and then laid it out again. And my, we're so like Gideon sometimes. But God trimmed down his army to 300 people. They surrounded the Midianites with some clay pots and some, some, some torches and some horns. And they blew the horns and banged at the pots. And the Midianites went into a frenzy. They conquered. And then the phrase, turn to flight the armies of the aliens. No, the writer does not have in mind green Martians from Mars. He has in mind foreigners of another nation. Somebody who lives in another nation. And I can't help but think of Hezekiah here. Hezekiah's life is, is such an inspiring life and took place during the time of Isaiah. And there, Zennacherib and, and the Assyrian army are surrounding Israel with 185,000 at least troops there. And Zennacherib writes in his annals of, of the uh, records of, of antiquity, he says that we trapped Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. But God raised up an angel to slay 185,000 people in one moment. As we think about Samson, as we think about David and Gideon, as we think about Hezekiah, we know they were men that were involved in warfare. But it was in their weak moments when they had nowhere else to turn to but God, God gave them strength to be able to contend and conquer. Today, you might be in, in the ring and it's like you're trying to, to box Muhammad Ali. Or you're in the wrestling cage with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and, and you have no way, shape, or form that you can overcome. I submit to you today that if you have faith, God can use you to do great things. You know, I'm convinced most Christians, perhaps even right here in the sanctuary, desire to live just an average life in their walk with Jesus. We just want to read our little two-minute devotional. We want to say our mealtime prayers. We want to come to church one hour a week, if we even do that. And we really don't seek to live out faith each and every day. So today, I urge you to be a little more like these prophets of old and like William Carey. To realize that, hey, your life is not your life. 
It's a life God gave you to use for his glory. And if God were to stir you to go somewhere else, would you even go? I mean, that's something to think about. If God were to stir you in this day or this year and say, so-and-so, I want you to leave this area, go to another place in America, go to another country, we'd have a list of excuses a mile long. God, I'm too old. God, I don't make enough money. God, I just, I, 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 can't, I can't go without McDonald's. I just can't go without the chicken fingers from McDonald's. God, I can't, I can't go without going to Walmart. God, I, I can't go without driving my nice, amazing car that I got to pay $1,200 a month for these days. We get so used to living in the American so-called dream that we forget that God's will for our life is not an American dream. It's to live a sold out life for Jesus Christ like these prophets. And I want to leave you with this quote from William Carey in conclusion. Listen to these words. Our Lord Jesus Christ, a little before his departure, commissioned his apostles to go and teach all nations. Or as another evangelist expresses it, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This commission was as extensive as possible and laid them under obligation to disperse themselves into every country of the habitable, habitable globe and preach to all the inhabitants without exception or limitation. They accordingly went forth in obedience to the command and the power of God evidently wrought with them. Did you know there are at least one to three billion people on this world, on this planet that we live on, who either have never heard the name of Jesus or don't have the Bible in their native tongue. And my question for us all is this, what are we doing about it? What's up guys, Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.